Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's a Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how's it going? How's your week been? It's been pretty good. I feel like all day this morning, I've just been searching for lizards in the backyard as I've been trying to work and just seeing them pop up and get very distracted. Wholesome week. Wholesome. How have you been? Uh, Pretty good. I have not been enjoying the summer heat, though. It has been way, 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 way too hot these last few days. I'm also like slightly under the weather. I have a bit of a sore throat. So my apologies again. I feel like I apologized last week for being sick, but I'm like sick in a different way now. So my immune system is just copying it at the moment. I don't know what's going on, but... My apologies to you guys if I'm a bit raspy today. My vo- my throat is not okay. But yeah, I guess we'll get into some follow-up. Uh, if you loved the last episode that we did last week on Trimic Lattes, then you'll love the newsletter I wrote for Shameless this week. Uh, it comes out on Friday and it's a more personal, prosy piece on the gentrification of Trimic Lattes. Uh, but more in like relation to my grandma and my family and the conflicted relationship I have with her and the culture. Uh, before she passed away a few months ago. It comes out on Friday, so keep an eye out for it. I'm really, really proud of that one. I can also finally tell you all about the collab I've been working on. I feel like I've been mentioning it for ages. I'm a guest on Flex Mommy's semi-factual history lessons podcast on Spotify. My episode came out this morning, which is Tuesday. You guys will be listening to this on Wednesday, so it'll be out by then. Have a listen. It, I thought it was really good. Uh, we talk about women's body hair and the way the patriarchy controls it, my relationship with my hijab and how this impacts my relationship with hair, women's hair and projection, the way we make snap judgments and assumptions on a woman's interests, politics, personality, everything about her based on her hairstyle in ways that we don't do for men. Uh, And we talk about black women's hair and the politics that comes with it. You know, are non-white bodies inherently more political? How does it feel having hair that everyone else will politicise regardless of if you want them to? Flex discusses, you know, her relationship with hair as a black woman and how politics have affected it. It is a good episode. It's all about the politics of hair. I think you guys will like it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm surprised how you were able to keep it a secret for so long and not spill the beans. I am so bad at keeping she secrets. She is so bad. I am so bad at it. I like, I'll tell Mitch, I'll be like, I bought you something today, but it's a secret. <laughs> um, but I did it and it's out. You guys should, you guys will really enjoy it. Have a look into it. Let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on Instagram. We can talk about it. And lastly, for follow-up today, this is a bit of a long one, but I think it's worth talking about. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day, so Monday. Uh, and there has been a lot of discourse online about it, some of which I think is really relevant to our topic for this week, so I want to talk about it. Uh, The discourse kind of centers around, I guess, like white Americans and other kind of white moderates sanitizing Martin Luther King's legacy to make his ideas like more compatible with kind of current center-left kind of uh, politics, erasing like his radical socialist politics and the fact that he was actually like pretty militant. Uh, Something really interesting going around is his letter from Birmingham jail, which says that white moderates are one of the biggest threats to black liberation. Specifically, he says that in that letter, that black liberation's greatest stumbling block is 
uh, quote, not the white citizen councillor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, who constantly advises to wait until a more convenient season. I love this letter for a lot of reasons. The first being how like topical and still relevant it is today. Uh, Martin Luther King was a black, radical, anti-capitalist who was also anti-war and wanted to redistribute wealth to eradicate poverty. This man was a socialist. He was a radical socialist. He died an enemy of the state. And now modern politics want to water him down. So white people can pretend that he was actually like an ally to the moderate movement. You know, it's all like, oh, you know, we don't believe in violence. We believe in peace, like Martin Luther King said. And then they'll like justify like white racist behavior and tell black people not to retaliate to white racist behavior because Martin Luther King, you know, his image has really been misconstrued and bastardized by the kind of current American political agenda and there's some really interesting conversations going around about how actually it was quite radical and it's crazy how much people have just forgotten that or like ignored it uh he's been absolutely co-opted and at the moment like white moderates or like even just anyone who's kind of center left uh are a big problem to like radical politics as they've always been and this is especially relevant for us in Australia at this time of year because we are a week away from invasion day and all the white moderates are now climbing out of the woodwork to tell First Nations people how to purchase their own genocide, tell them not to be disruptive, tell them to stop being so angry, tell them to get over it, tell them that they're divisive, that they're excluding themselves from progress, etc., etc. The victim blaming is ongoing. And I'm going to use these Martin Luther King quotes to introduce today's episode. And that is that Australia Day shouldn't exist. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Australia Day better known uh, as Invasion Day with us and the politics that come with it, not just of like the change of date stuff, but like all of it, the way white people talk about Australia Day, the way it's co-opted, the way the radical politics around it are co-opted. Cool. Let's Let's get get into into it. it. (laughs) Australia Day, better known in most progressive circles as Invasion Day or Survival Day or Day of Mourning, uh, it's supposed to be a celebration of the colonization of Australia, and it is coming up next week on Tuesday, the 26th of January. Gross, I know. <laughs> this is a pretty heated time of year uh, with a lot of kind of pro versus against celebrations, politics clashing, all the patriots are letting their racism fly, fly free. Uh, probably the biggest debate at the moment in Australian politics is the change the date movement. To change the date of Australia Day to another day so that it's not celebrating on a day on a day that marks centuries of genocide and so is more inclusive to First Nations people. Obviously, we are against the concept of Australia Day. Uh, we'll be referring to it as mostly uh, Invasion Day on this podcast. With the upcoming protests next Tuesday, we really want to get into the politics of Australia Day as even a concept, specifically the fact that it really shouldn't exist in the first place. We're going to talk about the history of Australia Day, when it was invented, the current race politics around it, how white moderates and settlers in general have weaponized the ideas of peace and inclusivity to demonize First Nations people on Australia Day. Uh, But I'll start with just like how absurd our current Australia Day 
quote unquote is. Because Australia Day didn't actually exist as a public holiday until quite recently. It's been changed several times, the date of it in the past. There's an SBS article that actually lists all the different days Australia Day has been celebrated. The earliest being on the 30th of July in 1915 and the 28th of July in 1916. We'll link the SBS article uh, in the description for this podcast episode. But I think it's worth bringing up because, like, Australia Day is not even, like, a thing. The fact that there is so much resistance to changing a date is wild because this is not even the date that it's had for, like, from the beginning, you know? Australia Day only became an official term, like, as a a thing in 1935, less than 100 years ago. Uh, And previous to that, it was actually referred to as Anniversary Day and it wasn't even a national public holiday in all states until 1994. That's four years before I was born. That's really surprising. That's like very recent. 1994 is very recent. Uh, Up until 1994, it was not a public holiday in every state in Australia. Like depending, I know Western Australia had their own kind of Australia Day on a different uh, date and so did like Tasmania and whatnot. And they all like celebrated their citizenships and stuff on a different day. So it being the 26th of January is actually a very recent occurrence. I don't see why it is seen as such a huge deal to change it when it's already been changed several times. The only reason now that it's a problem is because of who's asking for it to change. It's because it's First Nations people and their allies that are like, maybe we should change the date. Um, But now it's like become a problem. I also just think the concept of Australia Day is absolutely absurd because I cannot think of another nation off the top of my head that has a day similar to our day. Like most countries celebrate like independence from the British Empire or like something that actually like formulates their nation as different. So America, I mean, also being a colonizer state, but America celebrates the 4th of July because that was the day that they uh, broke away from the British Empire you know, like I know in like places like Pakistan and India and Nigeria and whatever, they're all independence days. Australia is still dependent on like the British Empire in the sense that we're not like we're not separate. We never had an independence. So it's kind of like absurd that Australia Day exists because like what? What is it? Like it's actually not a thing. It's not a thing in other countries. Other countries don't have a random day that they just like have to celebrate like nothing. There's an article from 2016 on New Matilda called January 26th, Australia All Alone with a National Day that Celebrates Dispossession. And in it, it talks about how out of the 53 countries who remain signatories to the Commonwealth Charter, only one commemorates the successful invasion of its own lands with a holiday, and that is Australia, the only nation which places the beginning of its own colonisation as the central day of national celebration. This is not a thing that other countries do. It's actually, it's actually not a thing. Like there's no, there isn't really a precedent for Australia Day. There aren't many comparable um, holidays. Probably the closest thing I can think of is Columbus Day in America, but it's not like a huge holiday like 4th of July or Thanksgiving or like Australia Day is. It's maybe, maybe the closest thing they have is Thanksgiving because it's like in terms of conflict. But even then, I feel like it's different because it's not necessarily a celebration like this is, like Australia Day yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I guess when we talk about the date for Australia Day, like I personally, like in terms of my politics, and I think Mitch agrees, is I don't care so much about changing the date for Australia as like abolishing it 
period. Like, I, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, let's do it May 8th because it like sounds like mate and that's super Aussie and blah, 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 blah. That's great. I just don't think there should be an Australia Day. I just don't think it's necessary to have a day to celebrate like what being Aussie means because I don't really think there is a uniting force to make an Australia Day. Like I don't think there is something that unites us. And I like the way Celeste Little, who is uh, an Aboriginal woman, I, I follow her Twitter. In one of her tweets, she said, change the date loosely translates to stop the blackfellas from whinging, in my honest opinion. I'm not interested in being assimilated into Aussie pride. Cheers. And I think that's so true. Like, with the change the date movement, I obviously support any First Nations p- person that supports change the date. But I personally just don't think it'll change much in the long term. It'll just mean, okay, if, if it happens, if we change the date to like May 8th or whatever, it's like, okay, good. Now shut up. We've done what you've wanted. We've changed the date. Now you guys can stop whinging. And that's kind of what Celeste Little says. And I think I really agree with her in terms of it just kind of stumps radical politics. Personally, it just, it needs to be abolished. There should be no celebrating of a country built on genocide with its, with this land's native people being the most incarcerated group in the world. Like, I don't see what there is to celebrate about Australia. Exactly. I mean, I agree 100%. I don't want to have an Australia Day just on another date. I just don't want to have an Australia Day because I think everything surrounding it is just so toxic and backwards and reactionary. Like, proud to be Aussie? Like, what does that mean? You see, when I think of myself, I don't think of of myself as an Australian. You know, I identify with my community, with the beautiful country I'm in, the flora and fauna, the region I exist within, but not this strange nationalistic myth that apparently I inherit because of the bloody history and development of this nation that has inscribed an Aussie-ness into me. Yeah, and I also just think it's worth mentioning, like, what does Australian even mean? Because that, like, term is often weaponized by, like, fascists and right-wing politics. I think a really good example is Peter Dutton, who, like, regularly will target uh, people of colour in marginalised communities, and the way he builds up racist hate against them is by calling them un-Australian. And it's like, who decides what un-Australian means? Who decides what is Australian and what is un-Australian? You know, apparently things that are Australian, if we're going to look at the way like white people in the government talk about it, it's like being fair and having a go and supporting your community and stuff. But then like when people actually stand up to injustice or are disruptive in their protesting or like really like get out there and try to solve injustice in the world, they are often called un-Australian by people like Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton. There's this real weaponizing of the term un-Australian. And so because of that, like, I just kind of resist any, like, Australian anything. Like, I don't give a shit about the Australian identity. As somebody who was, like, born here, like, yeah, I live here. This, I'm a citizen of Australia. But if we're going to talk about, like, a national identity, it doesn't mean anything to me because there is nothing that I really have in common with a lot of people that say, oh, I'm so Australian, aside from the fact that we both live here. Like, what are our common Australian values? Genocide? Racism? I don't know what makes up an Australian um, identity, and I personally don't care because I just don't think it exists. There is nothing at the moment to celebrate when genocide is ongoing. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. No matter what date it's on, I don't think I'd support an Australia Day because no matter when it's celebrated, it just continues to construct the myth of what it means to be Australian. And to have an idea of what it means to be Australian necessitates that there is an idea of what it means to be un-Australian, which is always going to be used to separate and criticize marginalized people. I also think that changing the date is quite symbolic. You know, it's it's not necessarily real change. I do think it would be a big deal if they change the date. Like it would be a, an incremental win 
it maybe will be a win in the sense that it shows that as a society we are capable of doing something. But I don't think it actually necessitates real change because real change would be eradicating it altogether as we like strive to improve conditions for First Nations people. So that's not to say that like we just shouldn't change it. But I do think that changing the date is a very, very small step in like actually making life, life fundamentally better for First Nations people. Because like me and Mitch and other people who are just like, we're just settlers. Like I'm just a descendant of like immigrants. Like I'm not from quote unquote Australia. I live here. I, by living here as a child of immigrants and as a child of settlers, I actively am benefiting from genocide every single day. Like, as somebody who just lives here and isn't Indigenous, I am benefiting from genocide. And I think it's really important to remember that when we start to think about, like, symbolic changes because they actually don't mean anything. People like you and me, we have a duty to do more than just change the date because of how much we actively benefit from genocide because it is only because of genocide that I can even be here today. And I really kind of want to then talk about symbolic change in general because I think we see a lot of it. Uh, when it comes to non-Indigenous people trying to enact change for Indigenous people or to acknowledge like genocide or whatever in this country, I think a lot of it can be very symbolic and very performative. Um, and the, it's just not, it's just so easy to co-opt this and like bastardize it. Um, something that Mitch was talking to me earlier, because I actually haven't been following it too well, was the changing of a word in the national anthem. As you guys have probably heard, Scott Morrison announced uh, a change of a term in the Australian National Anthem so that it could be more inclusive of First Nations people. Specifically, the line where it says, Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and free. They changed the word young to one. So it's for we are one and free. The reason they've changed that is to acknowledge that Australia is not quote unquote young. It's actually like, like Indigenous people are the oldest nation in the world (laughs) there's you know thousands one thousands of years of culture in this country that was previously unrecognized because of colonizers so it's supposed to kind of reconcile that in a way i was actually when i heard about this i was quite surprised that it was the word young that was changed actually i first didn't know it was only one word and now knowing it was one word i actually thought it would be fair because um when they say advanced australia fair it actually was quite literally in reference to skin tone when it was enacted. Nowadays, it would be like fair as in like, you know, a fair go. But it, it actually legitimately was White Australia with a capital W. That's what it was in reference to. So I assumed that would be the word they changed because of like the racial connotations of White Australia. But I love how it was. I mean, I, look, I don't know if there was a context around the word young that was like specifically political because I haven't been following this issue too deeply. But I, I was surprised that like they didn't just change like both at least or just like, I mean, I don't give a fuck about the Australian National Anthem. In general, to be honest. Who cares? Who cares about the Australian National Anthem? Oh, my God. It's so, like, that is just some coloniser shit. I mean, the word Australia is coloniser to begin with. Like, I'm sure there are well, there are legitimate names for this land prior to colonisation that are not Australia. It's not a term that a lot of First Nations people even identify with. Like, a lot of First Nations people don't call themselves Australian because they predate Australia, you know? <laughs> so, just, who gives a fuck? In my edgy phase in high school, I would, uh, when everyone was singing the Australian anthem, I would keep my mouth shut. That I was, that. That was my rebellion. I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, well, the point is, like, the Australian national anthem, the wording of that is really not where my personal politics lie. Like, I mean, I just don't think we should have an Australian national anthem. <laughs> the same way I just don't think we should have Australia Day. Like, 
I think Scott Morrison announcing that is like a gesture of symbolic change. It's like to pretend that they give a shit about First Nations uh, people, right? It's just like, oh, look, we've changed this. Now you can't call us racist. Now you can't say that we perpetuate genocide against you because we changed it from young to one. Look at us being anti-racist. ScoMo ended racism pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then now all the Scott Morrison fans and all the right-wing racist Australians are going to be like, see, he cares. See, we're not racist. And it's it, that's literally all it is. It is just symbolic. It's the same way that, like, acknowledgement of countries often get weaponized by, like, the government and other kind of community events. But they'll do an acknowledgement of country, which is great. But, like, it'll, it'll preface an event that's actually quite racist. <laughs> uh, like with Australia Day and how there'll be, I'm sure, many Australia Day festivities um, that like a lot of First Nations people are actively opposing and then they'll do an acknowledgement of country for it. As if that like undoes the racism of that event, as if that somehow makes it more palatable or more okay. So there is something to be said, I think, about like symbolic change. Other examples I think that are relevant as well are like the FBI or like police having like acknowledgement of countries or paying respects to Aboriginal people as if they're not like the number one reason for Aboriginal death at the moment. Like as if black deaths in custody are not a hugely topical issue, as if there aren't videos every single day of police officers coming out like abusing First Nations people and murdering them. But, you know, the police will do acknowledgement of country or whatever and now like, look, they respect First Nations legacy. It's the same way that um, Tony Abbott... Uh, became an Indigenous envoy. Do you remember that? Oh, my God. I actually, like, kind of repressed that memory for a while. Like, I forgot about it because it's just so fucking absurd. But, like, Tony Abbott was named an Indigenous envoy as, like, I don't know, I guess some extension the government was trying to make to, like, the Indigenous community, you know, by making one of the most racist, misogynistic, absolute fucking cretin of our government. (laughs) Like, somehow. I I have no words for this. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it's just, like... This little symbolic thing they do to shut up, like, criticism. Wasn't he also, like, the Minister of Women? He was. Or something? Yeah. Yes. Classic. It's, Aussie politics. It's fucking disgrace. It's embarrassing, isn't it? It's actually embarrassing. I mean, let's just even talk about the Aboriginal flag and the fact that we actually, like, as a nation, don't fly the Aboriginal flag all year round. Lydia Thorpe, who is a, a Green senator, she is an Aboriginal woman and she's been pushing a lot for First Nations rights uh, in Parliament she's pushed a motion to try and get the Aboriginal flag flown on Australia Day. And it wasn't until I read that that I realised we don't fly it on Australia Day. And I was like, what What the fuck? As if she has to, like, ask for that to happen. Don't we just... I honestly, like, genuinely thought we flew the Aboriginal flag and we just kind of don't. <laughs> and it's, it's shocking, right? And um, as well, recently, I remember Mitch and I were talking about it a while ago, but there were some councils, I think in the Hornsby Shire or like Hills area, that don't do an acknowledgement of country. Like the councillor actively refuses to. And he was saying that like, why should he do an acknowledgement of country when like it wasn't him, it was his ancestors that pillaged and like raped and destroyed this nation. Like it has nothing to do with him. So why should he have to apologise? I was just like, this is actually so fucking racist. And this is just like, this is just, he's, just, he's like actually a government official, this man. Like he is on the local council. It is his job to liaise between the government and, like, people. And these are the racist views that he holds. There's just no way that any of this stuff can even be remotely progressive when we have people like this and ideas like this floating around in Australian politics. So I feel like all those things kind of just show the symbolism that means fucking nothing. And I think we really got to remember that because all the displacement, 
and all the genocide, all the horrible things that have happened to First Nations people are not going to be reconciled through gestures like these. Like, this is not how we are going to help First Nations people. This is not how we're going to create change for First Nations people. That's not going to fucking do anything. What we have to consider is that genocide is current and ongoing. It's not just something that happened hundreds of years ago. You know, I feel like a lot of people think about genocide. It's like, oh, that's something that happened ages ago. Get over it. Move on. It was so long ago. We've we've grown as a nation now. Look, we do acknowledgement of countries. Look, we fly the Aboriginal flag. It's different now. When it's not, uh, some of you might remember from our previous episode on the Jabrung trees, uh, is that genocide is ongoing. There are so many examples of genocide being ongoing in this country uh probably the more prominent ones as of late are the like native title kind of politics and how a lot of sacred trees have been cut down uh despite mass protests for like highways and things you know to this day we are destroying aboriginal culture and land it's ongoing the same way that like stolen generations is ongoing through the removal of aboriginal children via docks if you guys are interested in that i recommend uh doing some reading into vanessa turnbull roberts articles she is a young indigenous woman who talks a lot about that and she's amazing so definitely look at her work uh and then there's you know like youth incarceration and black debts in custody as a form of ongoing genocide as well the guardian is actually currently starting a series on child incarceration rates of first nations people where they're like interviewing um, like Aboriginal children that have been incarcerated. It's quite heart-wrenching, obviously, but I do recommend reading it. We'll put the link as well in our description for today. But the point is, this shit is ongoing and like changing a word in the national anthem or changing the date of Australia Day is not going to stop black deaths in custody or the stolen generations, etc. Yeah, pretty much. It's important to see colonisation as an ongoing process instead of just perceiving it as a compartmentalised and separate tra- tragedy irrelevant to Australia's present, which, you know, a lot of reactionaries and conservatives really want to do. Uh, Doing research for this, I came across a really interesting article uh, called Colonizer Control and the Art of Disremembering a Dark History, Duality in Australia Day and Australian History. And in it, they interviewed 12 people who self-identify as wanting the date to stay the same. And in these interviews, they were ultimately trying to sort of deconstruct Uh, the ideologies of these people, you know, why they want the date to stay the same, what are the reoccurring themes, and what does that ideology and that Australian identity foster? And ultimately what they found is, despite maybe what we think, which is when I think of someone who wants a date to stay the same, I'm thinking of someone who completely disregards Australian history, who just completely wants to forget. But this isn't really the case. Often they're people who acknowledge Australian history, but see colonisation and Australian identity being able to be reconciled, which ultimately uh, isn't really possible. Yeah, it's these people that kind of see colonising the land as like something that happened in the past, and now that now people still bringing it up are just divisive. Like for them, it's like, oh, it's happened, it's, and it was bad that it happened, but now we are a different Australia, and we've we've learnt from that, and we want to move on, which is obviously not true. But it's they like are very confident. In that perception, uh, something that Mitch mentioned to me that was in the article was about how these people tend to see Aboriginal perspectives as like a barrier to progress, as like a barrier to more fruitful relationships. They're like, oh, we want to be more multicultural and more inclusive, but First Nations people aren't letting us because they don't want us to celebrate Australia Day. Exactly. We want to have an inclusive celebration, but, you know, First Nations people are being divisive and problematizing, you know, this date. You know, it, it's, it's their 
it's their fault, pretty much, that yeah. we can't have a united Australian identity. It's very victim blamey. It very much puts the onus of inclusivity onto First Nations people rather than to settlers and colonizers who have actually displaced them in the first place. And furthermore, the people who want the day to stay the same often see the thing, you know, see Australia Day as a multicultural event. Uh, the article says, quote, Australia Day is regarded as a significant event to express multiculturalism rather than an everyday proposition, uh, with suggestion to a deeper disconnection between multiculturalism and the dominant Australian uh, culture. So pretty much people who want the date to stay the same see multiculturalism is not, not as a worldview, but as something you do, literal performances. Uh, they had one quote from an interviewee that said, quote, you've got the Aboriginal sort of dances with the, um, they do the spiritual dances with the didgeridoo and all that they have going. It's really great to watch. Uh, the article goes on to say that the notion of performance is used here to denote how multiculturalism is often something observed by people with caveats over the extent uh, to which people can engage and do multiculturalism. Yes, I actually really loved that point in the article because I totally get that with things like Harmony Day and multiculturalism. It's not like... When I think of multiculturalism, I think of like an ongoing process of eliminating barriers between races. You know, I think of it as like getting along. I think of it as like being comfortable, not being white, right? That's what multiculturalism would be to me as a brown person. But what a lot of people see on Australia Day in multiculturalism, it's just a day where we like eat biryani and watch like pretty girls in pretty dresses dance for their culture. It's like, it's a performance. It's like watching a zoo. It's like this thing we do today. It's a festival, Right? It's a festival. And then every other day we go back to like boring white Australia. Exactly. Multiculturalism is something you do three or four times a year. And it's something that is sort of a discrete and separated event than everyday uh, Australian culture. Exactly. So then, and it's, it's quite dangerous actually, because then what they do is when like First Nations people and their allies are like, we want to either change the date or abolish Australia Day, then these like racist people are going to be like, oh, Oh, so you're racist? Oh, so you hate multiculturalism? Oh, so you don't want other people in this country? Like, are you like, do you hate Chinese people? Do you hate Indian people? Because that's, you know, Australia Day is about including them in the image of Australia Day. And they will like weaponize identity politics and weaponize like inclusivity, quote unquote, to like say that First Nations people are racist, which is just fucking absurd, obviously. Like, just like completely ridiculous. But. That's what they do. And then they'll like they'll say that First Nations people are divisive and preventing like cohesiveness with uh, like multiculturalism and like other people of other races getting along. And they'll it's, it's so much victim blaming and so much gaslighting. I mean, pretty much. Like it seems that the worldview of these people is built upon the idea that Australia's history is, yes, a tragic tale, but ultimately disconnected from the present. And in a way, it's understandable why people would think these way, this way. You know, every year, the federal and state governments spend millions of dollars on PR campaigns to construct an image of a united Australia, making sure to always include a couple of First Nations people in their commercials and activities to make it seem like, you know, this message is approved. Uh, First Nations approved, TM. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But just because you don't want to think about this shit doesn't make it disappear. Just because you don't want to think about, you know, Australia's massacres and genocide doesn't make the impacts of colonization just not impact the present. Yeah, there's a real kind of uh, idea that because it was in the past, it's over. And that's why it's really... Con and we've read it a few times in other episodes that like genocide in this country is ongoing. 
every single time there was a new black death in custody, every single time Docs gets involved in an Aboriginal family, every single time somebody is racist and it's let go, that is ongoing genocide. Like the suicide rate for, for First Nations people is so high for these reasons. That is an ongoing form of genocide. This is like a you know human rights crisis, really. Um, and it's really important, really, really important that we remember that every fucking day. And then us as allies, as non-Indigenous people, as people that aren't First Nations, need to remember that we like are benefiting off this genocide every single moment. And it's up to us to actively like get involved with First Nations communities and support them uh, in their plight for liberation. Because like otherwise, we are literally just perpetuating genocide ourselves by existing in this culture on this land and not doing anything about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, building upon that, I was listening to a conservative talkback radio show the other day, regrettably so, but out of just pure curiosity. And they were talking about an issue that just seems to be always ongoing, the issue of changing the flag. You know, people want to remove the the Union Jack, you know, people who want uh, Australia to be a republic. Uh, And one person brought up, you know, maybe we should change it to the uh, Aboriginal flag. Uh, and they got one caller back, some old white man yelling. Lol. Yeah, pretty much uh, yelling about how, you know, while, you know, First Nations people have their own culture, you know, having it, the, the official Australian flag be the Aboriginal flag would be exclusive to the Australian identity because the, the truth of the matter is that they are two separate identities. And I just find that so strange, the fact that you could even conceive of them being two separate separated ideologies or, or or cultures can someone tell me what australian culture is someone tell me please because i still don't know what the fuck these people are talking about when they're like oh but what about australian culture i'm like what lamingtons and racism like what else is there what else do you have to offer the fucking pavlova isn't even ours yeah like what do you have to offer <laughs> to me it's completely ridiculous to think that australian culture could at all be removed from its genocidal origins you know, we are just as impacted by our country's history as Indigenous people or First Nations people are impacted by the genocide that our culture brought. You know, these aren't two separate cultures that you can neatly separate into di- two different categories. They are both impacted by each other and they're impacted in extremely negative, detrimental ways. Yeah, like you can't have one without the other. Like for, for First Nations history to exist as genocide, there has to be white history that perpetuated the genocide. They're all part of the same story. They're not two separate things. Like for other people to experience racism, there is somebody perpetuating racism. And that is what these people don't understand when they say, oh, two separate separate cultures. No, your your racist culture is why they have this like genocide happening to them. It's not different. The truth is, is that we're not going to be able to reconcile these two cultures if uh, without legitimate systemic change. You know, there isn't just some... We're not going to just have, you know, four times a year that we we reconcile our differences. Like, there's going to need to be legitimate, ongoing, systemic and revolutionary change, I believe. Yeah, there's no middle ground. People seem to think that there's going to be a happy meeting in the middle. There's no meeting in the middle with imperialism, colonization and genocide. Like, there's no middle ground. Um, On that note, uh, let's talk about some concrete ways to be a good ally on Invasion Day and specifically protesting uh we will be at the sydney protest next tuesday i think it's 9 a.m at the domain we'll put information 
uh, in the description for all the other protests around Australia that are going to be happening on Invasion Day. But show the fuck up. Like, I feel like something I got to say, obviously it's different if you're, you know, immunocompromised because of COVID-19 at the moment and stuff. But generally, show up to protest. I feel like... Aside from the Australia Day protests, they tend to be quite large, but then literally any other protests throughout the year about stopping black deaths in custody or preventing the cutting down of trees, like nobody shows up. This is not like a fancy, cool, trendy thing you do on a, like on Invasion Day and then you just like never do anything for the First Nations community again. Show the fuck up for First Nations people. Put your body on the line between them and the cops that protest, particularly, especially if you are a white, cis, able-bodied person, uh, because... You're the one who's not going to get brutalized most of the time. And we see it a lot, especially lately. The police brutality at protests has been fucking out of control. Like there was a protest very recently for refugees, I think a week ago in Melbourne. And the oh my God, it was so bad. It was actually fucked up. Victorian police were like slamming like black femmes to the ground. Like it was out of control. And it's why we need a larger presence of like white cis people to just kind of get in the way. Because you're, not, you're less likely to get hurt and you need to like weaponize your privilege as somebody who isn't First Nations and who is less likely to be a statistic to get the fuck up there, put your body on the line and like actually physically support First Nations people. Also, obviously, donate to First Nations funds. There are a myriad of them. You can do a quick Google search and find some. Uh, First Nation owned funds, I should say, because a lot of people tend to donate to like but they don't realize it's like a government fund. Don't donate to those. Donate to funds that like go to First Nations people. And another one that I feel like is not talked about enough that maybe needs to be talked about more is like emotional labor. Like do the emotional work so your First Nations friends don't have to. It's a difficult day, obviously, for First Nations people. It's a day of mourning. Don't fucking harass and overwhelm First Nations people on your feed, seeking validation from them, being like, look, look at me supporting your cause. No. Go out there and educate your other racist friends. Go out there and educate your, like, argue with your family. Do all that, like, gritty, like, emotional shit so that First Nations people don't have to deal with that on the day. It makes me really sad when I scroll through Twitter and, like, so many of the First Nations people that I follow are, like, deactivating Twitter for the week because they don't want to have to deal with the ongoing barrage of, like, abuse that they are going to get this week because of their views on changing the date or abolishing Australia Day. This is where you come in. This is where we come in because, you know what? You don't expend emotional labor when you talk about Australia Day because it's not your emotional labor to expend. This is you just being a good ally and standing up for what's right. I don't want to hear stories about like, oh, I'm tired. Like, it's so hard arguing with racists. Imagine when that racism is directed at you, you know? And I feel like I really, really believe in this one because I can't fucking stand when people tell me how emotionally exhausted they are, like white people, when we talk about like anti-Muslim racism. Because it's like, you're tired? (laughs) And I really, and now I can extend that to the First Nations community as somebody who is not a First Nations person but can put in that emotional labour because it's not my emotions, right? So get in there, shut up, be a good ally, fight for the cause, follow and amplify First Nations voices on social media as well. I think it's very easy for people to accidentally speak for First Nations people. Argue with racist friends, but also like you are not an authority on this. Quote First Nations people where you can share their direct words, their direct posts, tweets, articles, whatever it is amplify those voices because first nations people don't need us to lead the movement they need us to help them lead the movement like it's their movement we're just here being the presence and like amplifying it that's really important to remember this is not your movement we're just here to amplify voices um and then i guess i'm going to end that with like just actively get in the way of genocide because you can i feel like there needs to be more radical movement 
like showing up to protest obviously like we said before but also like go and get in the way like if you see a police officer squaring up get in the fucking way like disrupt that shit interfere when you see people being harassed argue with people ditch your comfort zone i don't care about your comfort zone i don't care about my comfort zone when it comes to issues like this okay we're gonna put a list um in the description of a bunch of first nations voices uh that you can follow on like instagram and twitter that i find really really informative and just i mean in general to diversify your feed because i mean if you're not if you're gonna do it now is a good time to start but yeah i guess we're, we're gonna end it on that i'm a bit heated but we're gonna we're gonna end it on that like do your fucking part. And do it all year round. And like, do it all year round. The same way that multiculturalism isn't something, you know, Australia does four times a year. You know, fighting uh, genocide isn't something you do every January 26th. Yeah. Get it's in a lifelong, year-long mission. Yeah. Being anti-racist is a state of being, you know, to something that you do every fucking day. So let's do this every fucking day. Just before we end this episode, I want to read a quote by uh, First Nations artist Rachel Sarah uh, from her Instagram because I think it's a really great kind of position. Uh, she said, Don't get it twisted. Changing the date isn't our end game. Changing the outcomes for our people is. However, we cannot change our outcomes until we as a nation collectively acknowledge the past wrongs of history and how they still, till this day, are affecting our people. Don't tell us to get over it because it happened hundreds of years ago while we continue to remember the Anzacs. Don't tell us that you didn't invade Australia when you're still benefiting from the dispossession and genocide of our people. Changing the date is the first step in collectively acknowledging our history and holding space for the longest continuing culture in the world to change and govern policies that include us and directly impact our outcomes in positive ways while we continue to walk in two worlds. Some of us would prefer to abolish the day, and to be honest, I would stand with you for that too. For everyone who posted a black square, for everyone who hashtagged Black Lives Matter, for everyone who shares a minute silence at Anzac Day, it is time to show up. It is time to boycott the celebration and stand next to us as we mourn. It's time to make this country accountable on January 26th and move towards systematic change of our people. Through birth and residence, you belong here. But by skin, by blood and by by ancestry, we belong here. And it's time we truly acknowledge our connection to this land. That was by Rachel. I'll put her Instagram in the description box. Well, thank you so much for listening. Before we end, I just want to say that this episode is sponsored by you, our listeners. So specifically, we'd like to thank Everett, Beck, Naya, Rochelle, Lucia, Sarah, Liz, Bell, and Katie. So thank you so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Signing up isn't your thing. You can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you like today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around films, music and books. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at podcast at gmail.com And please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Bye. Bye.